Well, it's wonderful to be with you all this, uh, this evening. Thanks for joining us. It's great to have you here. Um, I'm really excited to be digging into this passage tonight. It's a wonderful passage, particularly those last two verses, some of my favorite in the Bible. So it's going to be a really good time. Um, I've just finished a semester of church history on the Reformation at college, and I really wanted to use some of the gold that I've learned. So to kick us off tonight, I'm going to pray a prayer, a prayer that was written by a Swiss reformer, Zwingli. This is how he would pray before he preached. So please join me. Almighty, eternal, and merciful God, whose word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, open and illuminate our minds so that we will understand your words with purity and holy reverence, and so that we will be transformed into that which we have rightly understood, so that we will by no means displease your majesty. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, friends, how do you respond to danger? When I was four years old, my family went away with some friends to a water park. And just like I am now, I was a kid who was really keen on adrenaline. I saw the big slide and I was excited to go on it. But being a four-year-old, I still wasn't a great swimmer. So I needed those floaty armband things that you used to wear. So I was really excited. I climb up the stairs. The guy lets me into the slide and I'm going down. I'm having a blast. But what I don't realize is that one of the valves has popped open while I'm going down. As I come down, I'm really excited. I splash into the water. I'm really excited, starting to swim towards the end. And then I suddenly realize that one of my arms is sinking. And as what I imagine any four-year-old would do, I panicked. And I grabbed onto the nearest thing, which happened to be a swim ring that a girl nearby was using, which then led her to panic as well. It wasn't a good, thing, wasn't a good way for things to end. But thankfully, eventually a parent jumped in and swam us both to safety. But it shows us something, doesn't it, that when we respond to danger with panic, that can actually be quite dangerous, not just for me, but then for the person, for the people around me. And so how do we respond to danger? Well, that's what our passage tonight is all about, particularly the danger of false teaching that we unpacked last week. Jude reminds us that the apostles warned the church that false teaching was inevitable. It will definitely come. Have a look at Jude 18. This is what the apostles, they told you. In the end times, there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. Last week, Neil unpacked for us the serious danger of false teaching. And we saw that it's a serious threat that can draw someone away from the saving truth of the gospel. So Jude calls us to contend for the faith. Because lies about God are so, so dangerous. And it raises a question, doesn't it? How do you respond rightly to the danger of false teaching? What does it look like to contend for the faith that we talked about last week? Like me in the pool, panic isn't going to be a particularly helpful way to respond. At times in history, the church has responded to false teachers with physical violence or even death. I don't think that's the way to go either. Or should we just maybe bunker down and hope that over time the false teaching will just fly over? Well, thankfully, Jude is going to help us think about this in this passage tonight. Jude encourages us to respond to false teaching by keeping ourselves in the love of God, by showing mercy, and doing both of those things by the power of God. That's where we're going to be headed tonight. And my prayer for you, for us, 
is that this passage would give us such a sure confidence in God and a deep desire to protect ourselves and others wisely from the dangers of false teaching. So let's jump into it. The first thing that this passage shows for us, keep yourself in God's love. Pick it up with me in Jude verses 20 to 21. It'd be great to have your Bibles with you. Keep them open. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, expecting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Jude's main command here is in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. See, where the false teachers have departed from the love of God, denying Jesus as Lord in verse 4, Jude instead urges us as Jesus' followers to stand firm in God. Now, this doesn't mean just sitting back and freezing and waiting for things to happen. No, it means actively working to keep yourself grounded in the truth of Christ. How do we do this? Well, that's what the three other actions that we can see in this passage help us. The other three words help unpack what it means to keep ourselves in the love of God. And you can see it there, building, praying, and waiting. You might have noticed both today and throughout the rest of the Jude series, Jude's a really big fan of threes. So first up, let's think of that first one, building yourselves in your most holy faith. This is all about foundations. See, to be able to stand firm, you need a solid foundation to stand on. I'm sure you've seen pictures of buildings that haven't had good foundations and they end up failing, falling over. This is a really famous one. If your foundation is bad, what you will build will not stand the test of time or the forces that come against it. And what is our firm foundation? Our firm foundation, the passage calls us to, is the holy faith. The very faith that in verse 3 was delivered to the saints once and for all. Now see, when we talk about the faith as opposed to having faith, we're talking about the thing that our faith is in. That is, you have faith in the faith. And the faith that you trust in, friends, is the gospel. The gospel and teaching that has been delivered to us in this very book, the Bible, the truth that God has generously and graciously revealed to us in his word. The gospel is our firm foundation. This is where we come to in the face of danger, in the face of false teaching, because God's words, God's promises, they are the sweet honey that we run to for hope, for assurance, for joy, and for a firm foundation on which to stand and build upon. That's why the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, is an extended reflection on God's word and thanking God for it. And that is the very foundation that Jude calls you to. That these words from the very lips of God, of the only one true God, are so, so precious. That's why we're about to spend six weeks thinking about the doctrine of Scripture, over the next few weeks at church, because it's a firm foundation. And did you notice as well that this building on the one foundation isn't something that we do alone? No, it says build yourselves, yourselves, plural, isn't it? See, standing firm on the firm foundation, it's a team game. Jude isn't interested in this ruggedly individualistic faith that only cares about yourself. No, 
if you follow Jesus, Jude tells us we have a responsibility for other people's growth as well as our own. And other Christians have a responsibility to help others grow. When we're faced with danger, particularly the danger of false teaching, we neglect God's word to our peril. So secondly, the second thing that keeps us in the love of God is praying. Pray in the Holy Spirit, Jude says. That is, the only reason we can bring our prayers before God is because of his Holy Spirit in us. See, some people might think that God is more likely to listen to them if, oh, I'm doing lots of really good things, or if I bring a proper sacrifice, or if I use the right words, I can just sort of twist God's arm into listening and doing what I'm asking of him to do. As if we could ever put God in our debt. No, 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 not at all. The only reason that we can have any confidence to bring our prayers before God is because he has given his Holy Spirit to us if we've confessed Jesus as Lord. It doesn't depend on what you do, but it's based on the Spirit's presence in us because the Spirit connects us, unites us to Jesus. And it's through him that we can now call God our Heavenly Father and pray knowing that he listens. If Jesus is your Lord, then you've been given God's Holy Spirit. And it's in that very Spirit that we pray. You might see in verse 19, the false teachers are those who don't have the Spirit. They create divisions and are worldly, not having the Spirit. So rather than confessing Jesus as Lord, they denied him. You can see that in verse 4, denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. My friends, what a privilege it is that we can pray to the God of the universe who is our Heavenly Father because of what Jesus has done. Never take that prayer for granted. Pray before your God confidently, but with trembling. So standing firm in God's love, it means you build up, it means you pray, and it means you wait. Wait for the mercy of Jesus who gives us eternal life, in verse 21. Now, it's not just wait. Verse 21 says that we wait expectantly for the mercy of Jesus. Now, this isn't the sort of waiting that you just do at the bus stop, waiting for the bus to arrive. No, this is the sort of waiting that a child does for a present that they know they're going to be getting on Christmas Day. This is the sort of waiting that you have to see a family member who's been overseas for a really long time. That's the sort of longing that we heard from from Jim. It was beautiful, wasn't it, to hear about that? See, the Christian who has understood the gospel is someone who longs to be with their Lord in the new creation. Where sin is going to be completely and utterly dealt away with, where there will be no more sin, no more crying, no more suffering, no more pain. They dream of spending eternal life with the Jesus who saved them. Jesus is so precious to them that when they hear him say in Revelation 22 that he is coming soon, they can stand there with the Apostle John and say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That sort of waiting, it's powerful, isn't it? That's the sort of waiting that helps you to fight sinful desires. That's the sort of waiting that helps you to go through unimaginable suffering because you know that the glorious eternity you're waiting for with your Lord will make that suffering light and momentary. 
How do you keep yourself in God's love? How do you keep yourself from falling away into false teaching? We build one another up in the gospel. We pray confidently in the gift of his Holy Spirit. And we long for the day Jesus returns. Maybe something you can do this week is think through those three things. Just reflect on them in yourself. Building up, praying, waiting. Figure out which one of them you've been struggling with or maybe slacking off with. And pray with someone tonight that God's Holy Spirit would help you to grow in that area so that you cherish Jesus all the more deeply. Jude's helped us see how we can stand firm, but what about helping others not falling into false teaching? That's where the second thing that this passage shows us comes in. Show mercy. The next two points we'll be going through a little quicker. Have a read of verse 22 to 23 with me. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. See, friends, false teaching has deadly consequences. Because without the gospel of Jesus, the destination of every human being is the fires of hell. That's a really... That's a truth that's really easy to try and just sweep under the rug and avoid, isn't it? But we do that to our shame. Remembering the reality of heaven and hell spurs us to action. To bring the good news of Jesus to anyone we can, knowing that Jesus is the only one. Salvation is found in no one else except through Jesus and what he's done on the cross. This is not just a matter of life and death. This is a matter of eternal life and death. Heaven and hell are at stake as we share the gospel, as we correct each other, as we keep each other in the love of God. So God urges us, no, he commands us to show mercy, both to the Christian in danger of falling away and to the person who is living apart from God. So how do we go about doing that? What is the way that we show mercy to people? Well, I think the key thing that Jude wants us to pick up here in verse 22 to 23 is that we are to show mercy contextually and carefully. Did you notice Jude's love of threes made a comeback in these verses? He refers to three groups of people here. He talks about those, then he talks about others, and then still others. He's got three groups of people in mind here, and showing mercy looks different to each group for each context. And in all these contexts, see, God is calling us to share the truth of the gospel in love, correcting false teaching and showing the truth of what the Bible says for how we live and what we believe. But depending on the context of the person, the way you do this might look different. See, the last of the three groups, I think, shows this best. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. The reality is that when people need correcting or evangelizing, they're living in a way that doesn't please God. So when you think about loving and showing mercy to these people, you need to be just as aware and realize that that wrong living can be just as much of a temptation and a danger to you. See, if you've struggled with gambling in the past, it's not a good idea for you to hang out with gambling friends at the pokies. If you struggle with gossiping, it's not a good idea for you to hang out with friends in a context that would lead you into gossiping. Don't underestimate sin, brothers and sisters. Be very 
careful. Hate it, Jude says. Be aware of sins that are particularly tempting to particularly tempting to you. Maybe this means thinking about where you have conversations with friends so that you won't be tempted into sin, so you can guard yourself. Maybe this means having Christian friends with you or praying for you as you have these conversations with people. Now, the opposite danger you could fall into is you could end up being so paranoid about anything drawing you away from the truth of the gospel that you just end up not doing anything at all because anything is too dangerous for you. But don't overthink it. Remember the priority that we see here in this passage. It's not be careful and figure out if you have any rare opportunities to share the gospel. No, what, the gospel, what Jude is telling us here, the key is to show mercy. But do it carefully. Jude's unpacked what it looks like for us to respond to false teaching by standing firm in God's love and showing mercy. But woe to us if we think we have any chance of doing this on our own. And so Jude finishes his letter reminding us that we can only ever do this by the power of God. Jude finishes with a beautiful prayer that points us to the big God who is powerful and good. These are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Have read them with me. Jude 24 to 25. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power and authority, before all time, now and forever. Amen. Those are verses that are worth memorizing, aren't they? These words are an incredible comfort, an immense comfort, to the heart that is anxious about the dangers of false teaching. See, Jude points us to the God who is bigger than false teaching. It's a particular comfort to be reminded of the God who is able. See, with danger on all sides of false teachers, of temptation to sin, of our own weakness, God is able to protect you from stumbling, to present you blameless and joyful in that last day. In other words, he's able to keep you. That's been one of the themes we've been seeing as we run through Jude, isn't it? Friends, if you reach the end of your days and your trust is still firmly in Jesus, it's because God has worked in you powerfully to protect you from everything that tried to get its hook into you. Now, hold on, there's something we need to think about here. Who is it that keeps us standing firm? Is it our actions of building up and praying and waiting? Yes. But this verse just told us that God is the one who keeps us standing firm. Yes. So which one is it? Is it God or is it us? Yes. The Bible presents these two things as true at the same time, that God is completely sovereign, in control, and powerful to keep us, and that we are completely responsible for our actions and choices. Fancy phrase for this is dual agency. God is sovereign, and we are responsible. See, God doesn't leave us to our own devices because if he did, there'd be no hope at all. But the way that God works in the world is with us and through us. The gift of God's Spirit working in us, changing our hearts and desires to make choices that are honoring to God and that draw us back to the gospel every time we fail to make those choices. 
Now, this reality doesn't mean that we just sit back and let God do all the work. No, if we, what it means is that we can have confidence as we build up, as we pray, as we wait, as we show mercy, that God is able and powerfully working through it to keep us steadfast in him. A God who is powerful to do good. That's the God who is worthy of worship, isn't it? Isn't he? So praise him. In verse 25, Jude says that God is our saviour. Not just the judge, not God the judge and Jesus the saviour. Not God the judge of the Old Testament and God the New Testament saviour. No, the one true God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, has been, is and will be judge and saviour. So praise him. He and no one else is the God who is abundantly worthy of glory, of majesty, of power and authority. So praise him. Brothers and sisters, as we've gone through this little book of Jude this holidays, I hope you've seen the severe danger of false teaching. But I hope as well that you've seen the God who is bigger than false teaching. So take false teaching seriously and respond to it rightly. Keep yourselves standing firm in the truth of God's love. Show mercy carefully to everyone living in lies, knowing that God is able to keep you for himself on that last day. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for the goodness of the gospel. We thank you so much for your son, who has united us to you, and we thank you that once you've got your hold on us, you will not let go. You will keep us in you. And so, Lord, knowing that, please help us to live in a way that honors you, to build one another up, to pray in the Holy Spirit, and to wait eagerly for when you return, and to care for one another and protect each other from falling away as we continue to share the gospel that saves with anyone we can. And so we say, Lord, that to you who is able to protect us from stumbling and to make us stand in the presence of your glory, blameless and with great joy, to you, the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.